Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast that is bursting at the seams with renewed enthusiasm and optimism after a week one domination of Minnesota. I am Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is my hetero life mate, Andy Bailey, also of MazeandBrew.com. Andy, you land-dwelling manatee. How the hell are you? Blue Pants Harbs is here to stay. It oh is. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great, and I'm ready for some hate. Man, I was uh, pretty excited for the last pod, but after a victory, I could not be more enthused. We got a lot to cover about tonight, so we're not even going to dilly-dally around. We're going to get right into it, man. Uh, what a victory, week one on the road. Uh, we both predicted victories, but nobody, I mean, nobody was predicting a Michigan blowout. That was one of the more pleasant surprises of the Harbaugh era. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was one of the most impressive performances we've seen at Michigan, period. 35 points is the most points ever put up by a Michigan team in the first half against a ranked opponent in the AP era. So much for, you know, offensive question marks. And so much for Harbaugh not being able to get it done on the road against a ranked team. That pretty much shut up your haters. And, uh, man, a lot to cover. We're not going to get too much into the breakdown of that first game. Uh, but we are going to kind of talk about some of the things we are right about, some of the things we are wrong about, and some of the players that stood out. So let's start there. Let's talk uh, in that 49-24 to 24 victory that could have easily been 60-something to 24. Who are some of the players that stood out to you? Let's start with the offense, which really carried the day. Let's just start right off the bat. Uh, all four running backs, Blake Corum, Zach Charbonnet, Hassan Haskins, and um, why am I losing the last one? Oh, Chris Evans, Captain America. I know he's finally out of the ice. All four of them were incredible. And like you and I have already joked about many times. Yeah, just like we drew it up, Blake Corum getting the first touch of the season. That is not what I expected. And I didn't expect a lot of that freshman involvement. Uh, That's a great choice. I will go offensive line. And we both said that we thought that they'd be just fine. We've seen a lot of those guys, but I don't think we expected that level of dominance. And Andrew Vastardis, maybe the least heralded guy on that offensive line, looked dominant at center. Looked like you're not missing a lot going from Ruiz to him, which is saying a ton. Yeah, he moved exceptionally well. He was fast. He was physical. And the continuity from left tackle all the way through right tackle looked like they've been playing together for three years. That is, I mean, if there's a criticism of Harbaugh teams, and there's there's probably plenty of them out there, but one of them is that they don't start seasons generally super strong. Uh, takes them a couple games, then they'll get into it in the middle of their schedule, and then we all know how it ends. Uh, but this, right out of the gate, everyone looked in sync, and there were obviously some errors in there, some penalties you got to clean up, and you know some missed kicks. Obviously, we're going to have to figure that out, but all in all, I mean, you, you have to be pleased by that. Um, we're going to talk about Joe Milton too, right? Oh my God, how can we not talk about our Lord and Savior? Just the command, the presence, the leadership he displayed at off- on offense was incredible. Like every time Minnesota scored, Michigan had an answer, and it started with Joe Milton. He was just collected. Like nothing faced him. It was always next play, keep going. And man, I I was not anticipating that level of efficiency and control. Yeah, he did not seem phased one bit. And some of that is there was no fans in the stands, so maybe that would play a difference. But it looked like he was just out there at practice, just kind of chucking it around if there was a mistake. And, yeah, he threw two that were maybe a little questionable. Uh, but he also threw some absolute darts. The, the arm talent was completely on display. His best two passes of the day were actually incomplete. Uh, one of them, I mean, you've probably seen it or remember it, the rollout 
in what looked like he was going to scamper for four yards. He flicked it with his wrist 50 yards down the field to only where Giles Jackson could get it. There's maybe four or five guys on the planet that can make that throw. That's That was insane. That was just unbelievable. And to carry on that, his burst, that one run he had on the outside where he got about 15 yards and just turned on the Jets a little bit. It's like, oh, oh yeah, you can move when you need to. Yeah, absolutely. And very much I see the Cam Newton comparisons because he's not Denard Robinson fast, but he's fast enough to keep you honest. And in the red zone, that is going to be so hard to stop. It's, I, I don't know how you do it with a lead blocker and then Joe Milton. In fact, there's always going to be at least one guy unaccounted for. And to, to keep moving on, the receivers. And let's start with the ones we didn't anticipate. I didn't think this was going to be a big Roman Wilson game. We did mention him in our players to watch. We said that hype was real. He was getting talked about too much, but to be featured like that, to be one of the featured receivers, they have no problem throwing freshmen right into it. And he looks like a good one. Henning looks extremely quick, but, um, and I'm not downplaying Henning's contributions, but Roman Wilson is silky smooth already. And he's got burst and man, easy to get excited about both of those guys. And Giles Jackson didn't have huge numbers or anything, but he was one of the first guys targeted. Ronnie Bell got hot late. Looks like they're going to spread it around a lot. I don't know that we'll even have a go-to receiver. Kind of like the running back situation. Everyone's going to get touches. There's not going to be a premier guy. Just spread the ball. And Giles Jackson was fairly quiet in this one. And Mikey Sainer still got involved. But there's just talent everywhere. I mean, it'd be great to have Nico Collins, but we're not. We're, we anticipated not missing him at much at all. And we are really not missing him. It'd be great to have him, but this offense didn't miss a beat. Yeah, yeah. So far, everything uh, looks fine, and it looks like he's got some connections with some of those younger guys. Um, Eric All had a drop touchdown, which would have put us up closer to the 60 range. Um, you count in the field goals as well, but also looks like an absolute weapon. And Ben Mason starts out the game with a critical penalty. We go backwards, have to punt. That punt gets blocked, and you think, oh, no, here we go again. But credit to him and the rest of that offense. They responded. Mason had a great game, too, and looks like they're going to bring back some of those old uh, power-running concepts of early Harbaugh teams to mix in with the spread of Gaddis. And that is, that is dangerous, exciting. It's new. It's going to be tough to defend against, and it's probably going to put up more points than any team in the Harbaugh era just in eight games. Dude, Josh Gaddis was a god in this game, just pulling strings like a puppet master, everything he dialed up, the rhythm he had, the confidence. You can tell the players are dialed into him, but he is dialed into them as well. He knows how to put them in positions to succeed, and speed and space exists at every level in this game. Yep, so players that we uh, wanted to touch on on offense was literally everyone because yep. that's how good the offensive performance was. Yeah, and that's every, every, yeah. everybody was great, and this is still without Nick Eubanks. Right, exactly, and I expect him to be a bigger part of the passing game because Milton does still have to kind of tone it down a little bit on his accuracy, and having those bigger targets will help. So uh, let's move over to the defense where uh, plenty of guys stood out, and there's plenty to take away that you like. There's some things to be cleaned up on defense, though. Who stood out to you? Let's just start with the play of the game that everybody's talking about and watching over and over again. Michael Barrett at Viper is just a complete dog, and that hit – the burst he displayed from chasing the running back to realizing the quarterback still had the ball and what he did to Tanner Morgan once he made contact was borderline assault. <laughs> I believe police in Minneapolis are actually, they got an APB out for him right yeah. now. <laughs> that was 
salt. But Mike Barrett was a guy that we thought might be a player for us, and we underestimated that. Or maybe it's just the, the Viper against Minnesota, because you remember Kalik Hudson's day against them in 2017, I believe it was. Yep. Uh, but our Viper position, man, if you're uh, kind of one of those hybrid guys, you got to come want to come play that Viper position. I mean, look at the success we've had there, and Mike Barrett just looks like the next one up. Yeah, the first player since Jabril Peppers to be defensive player of the game for Michigan and special teams player of the game because he almost housed the kick return. <laughs> I mean, he's fast. He's an inch bigger than Hudson. He weighs more than Hudson, and he runs faster than Hudson. And, I mean, I loved Khalid Hudson at the Viper position, but this guy's got even higher potential. And right out of the gates, looked like one of the best players on defense. For sure, a difference maker. Just a complete stud. And to just stay in that unit, uh, Cam McGrone was all over the place. Missed a couple reads, but it's okay. And, God, it felt good to watch Josh Ross hit people again. I forgot how much I enjoyed that. I enjoyed Josh Ross. He had, he had an interception in that. McGrone had a couple pressures, had a half of a sack, um, where he was really the guy that made that play. And he's going to get a lot of chances in this defense um, with them sending blitzes from all over the place. Um, some work to be done in run defense for our linebackers. Admittedly, uh, Muhammad Ibrahim had a big game. Didn't end up really mattering that much. But, you know, things to improve upon moving forward. But McGrone looks like a stud. Ross, I think, will be just fine. Uh, more time together is going to be great. Uh, what about uh, in the, on the defensive line? <sighs> Let's start with the ends first. Quiddy Pay looked like a complete freak, like Bruce Feldman had him as his number one freak in college football. And Aiden Hutchinson was just as dominant. Just what they did to both tackles, just moving them around, separating, twisting, stunting everywhere. And that period in the fourth quarter where, um, where Quiddy Pay just took over was what you want to see from your elite level players. Just like four or five consecutive plays, like tackle for loss, sack. Sack, tackle for loss, spun through a double team at one point. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was making plays from the backside, chasing guys down. He's extremely quick, looks like that explosive athlete on pace for 16 sacks. So take that for what you will. I mean, that was a big, big fourth quarter for him. And uh, everybody was fresh in the fourth. Hutchinson and Pay both looked great. Uh, Hutchinson doesn't jump off the stat sheet, but he made so many plays. His height is a problem. And it was really affecting uh, Tanner Morgan because he was in all sorts of passing lanes. And you could tell that he was throwing up. Uh, he had Muhammad Ibrahim in the back of the end zone in, I think, late third quarter would have brought it back to an 11-point game. But Hutchinson filled the passing lane and the ball went way too high. And that was something that happened a bunch. His height and the, his ability to get off his first block and get into the passing lanes makes it very difficult. You can't throw over him. He's too gigantic. Yeah, that's what he's been doing since a freshman. He's always got a lot of batted balls. Got that J.J. Watt quality to him where if he's not going to make the sack, he's at least going to get the hands up to disrupt the throw to help the secondary out some. And with our secondary as inexperienced as it is and the help they might need, this is perfect for them. Yes, absolutely. And, I mean, that really, really helped Vincent Gray and uh, Jamon Green on the back end was the fact that two seconds in, Tanner Morgan was having to make a decision immediately. He did not have much time throughout the entire day. Credit to Don Brown for bringing a lot of different blitzes. He's always going to be aggressive, but you got to love what you have just rushing for. Um, moving down the line, Carlo Kemp, I thought, played a pretty good game too. Uh, looks like his first step has gotten quicker, and he's had a, a quick first step, but now with some added experience, some added size, a little bit better technique, uh, some room to grow on run defense, no doubt about it, but I like what I saw from Kemp as well. 
very disruptive with that step too. He's uh, kind of like Aiden Hutchinson where he's not going to jump off the stat sheet, but it's almost like a hockey assist where he sets up the other guys to make the plays. And he was continually in the backfield all night and their center and left guard are experienced. They're two of the guys they brought back and he was giving them fits all night long and the versatility from which they lined up on the line. Sometimes Kemp would be at end pay would be at inside with twists and different looks. And once again, patented Don Brown, you know, they got some points off in the first half. They scored seven in the second half on their first drive, and that was it. Yeah, shut them down in the second half. Uh, like our depth as well, I think Julius Welshoff is not a guy we were talking too much about preseason, but he looks like a player for us. And Taylor Upshaw, very, very impressed with him. Looks like a young Chris Wormley out there already. The way Upshaw chased down that tackle uh, to save four points was just incredible. Yeah, I was impressed by that play and Welshoff getting his first sack off of the McGrone assists. So love, love our depth there. And uh, in the secondary, you got to touch on the secondary because that was where if we thought we were going to get it beat, it was in the secondary. And Jamon Green came out and got beat for the one deep ball where he got lost in coverage a little bit. Those are very difficult passes. Those 50-50 balls that are thrown short like that, very tough for the cornerback. He was in great position, by the way, uh, but the ball was thrown short and Ottman Bell adjusted to get it. But other than that, he had two passes broken up, was in position all day. Uh, I was very impressed with Jamon Green. Does not look like he's going to be the liability we thought he might be. No, he looked outstanding. Dax Hill looked good all over the place. Makari Page looked a little raw, but that's expected since the last yeah. time he played was the same year he was going to prom. So yeah. <laughs> it was fine. The fact that another freshman is getting out there and getting reps is valuable as the season goes. Brad Hawkins was quietly good. Um, they they still the safeties to help a little more in run support be a little better there, but the secondary held up a lot better than I thought. Besides that one like thirty six yard gain to Rashad Bateman, they really held him in check. They did, and Vincent Gray wasn't really challenged too much, so that says to me he was doing his job for most of the evening. So I'm pleasantly surprised, and maybe we've got something going there. I think I texted you during the game that the way Jamon Green was playing kind of reminded me of how Vincent Gray played last year. And I was like, if that's what Jamon Green is, is Vincent Gray from 2019, we'll be just fine. Yeah, I feel great about that. He was, I mean, I wasn't anticipating him to look that good at all. So, I mean, anything we can get from that second corner position to even resemble that again, that is just great news for us. Yep. On special teams, I think it's pretty obvious there. Uh, we need to get Nordeen back. If he actually got beat out in the kicking competition and he's all up in his head again, that could be a problem. Moody really struggled, but. You also shut down the fake block punt. You get uh, Mike Barrett returning one for 66 yards to set up a score. So so obviously we need to figure out that kicking game. I mean, we've got some tougher teams where you're really going to need to count on those nine points, all makeable field goals. But other than that, um, I think we'll be okay on special teams if Nordine comes back and can be basically what we saw last year. Yeah, that, that punt block in the beginning was bad. Some guys got mixed up with blocking assignments. But man, watching Hassan Haskins make the tackle on their uh, fake punt attempt was amazing. So, I mean, he's just a football player, man. Did not lose those linebacker instincts. That was great. And that may have been the turning point of the game. Kind of felt like they were panicking a little bit there. And, uh, I mean, credit to them. They did hang around. But at that point in the game, I really felt like we had this thing. I was like, oh, man, they're, they're panicking. It's second quarter and they're already fake punting. I was like, and we they couldn't stop us. No, once they bought the fake punt out, I'm like, Oh, Flex getting desperate for a momentum swing here. 
Yeah, exactly. So a lot, lot to like, a lot of players that stood out on both sides of the ball. Let's do a little what we were right about, what we were wrong about. Love doing this after the first game, after we've had a whole off season to talk and make predictions. Um, Credit to us. We were right about more than we usually are. We were wrong about some things, but a lot we got right this time around. Yeah. Do you just want to run through them really quick? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. You want to start? You want me to start? I'll run through what we were right about. You can throw the humor in what we were wrong about, which we know we we sometimes have been. (laughs) Uh, Things we were right about. The pass rush will be ferocious. We may not, we pretty much anticipated paying Hudson to wreak havoc and they did. Four deep at running back. Blake Corm catching the first pass really set the tone for the season and the evening. The O-line would be just fine. They were more than just fine. Good God. They were dominant. Give Ed Werner a raise. Uh, Mike Barrett would be a player. That, that he is. Gaddis is a godsend. Oh yeah, this is a completely different offense than Middle Tennessee State last year. Correct. D-tackles are among the weak links in stopping the run. Also correct. D-tackles are not as weak as we thought. Possibly they were really good in pass rush. But again, you know, we'll see if they get better at stopping the run. And lastly... When will they listen to us about James Franklin because baby Penn State lost again? Yep, that's something that you and I have been saying since he got hired there. Uh, If you look at him and Harbaugh's records, they're almost identical. And James Franklin in late game coaching, give me Harbaugh 10 times out of 10. Yeah, absolutely. They, it's funny. You look at that, uh, the stats of that game. They're all Penn State should have crushed them. Nope. They let Indiana back into it and then they lost, which is fine with me. Fine with me. I find James Franklin to be overrated. I mean, some people thought that he should go to USC because he's such a great co- uh, um, excuse me, coach. But the year that they went to the Rose Bowl in 2016, we pantsed them by 30. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, the year they won the Big Ten. It's like, come on. are you? They, James Franklin has a Big Ten title, and we blew them out. <laughs> blew them out that year. Absolutely destroyed them. So his best team couldn't hang with Michigan. Just things need to fall a little bit differently. Should have won last year. I fully believe we will take care of Penn State this year. Um, so, yeah, we were right about quite a bit. Um, the one thing that I did want to touch on there is uh, thought we might be four deep at running back, but I did not expect Blake Corum to be featured. He had more snaps than any of the other backs. Yeah, didn't think that, Blake Corum was going to be like surprising. And- <clears throat> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just did not expect him to be considered like one of their top weapons. They must love this kid. Yeah, I didn't think he was going to be like Mike Hart 2.0. The kid's a bowling ball. Yeah, yeah, he's going to be a problem and really excited he's only a freshman. Uh, What we were wrong about. So uh, we said Mike Barrett would be a player. He's actually a god. Um, So we we underestimated Mike Barrett, but I'm fine with that. Uh, We were wrong that Jamon Green would struggle mightily in this game. We thought him going up against Ottman Bell as the secondary receiver would be a problem. Jamon Green really took this opportunity and shined. I think he's, you know, really good in, in maybe not really good, but underrated in run support as well. Had good position most of the night. Um, Cornelius Johnson and Nick Eubanks would be factors. This was more something I thought because I thought you've got a not inaccurate quarterback, but you got a quarterback that's learning, you know, when to put the touch on the ball and when to fire off that absolute rocket of an arm he has. Um, Cornelius Johnson didn't really show up. Nick Eubanks was out with an injury, so that could change. Um, I thought this would be a tight game where we needed to play nearly perfectly to win. Both of us kind of had it like that. We thought it was going to be a really tight game. To be fair, I don't think anyone in the media predicted a Michigan blowout, so <laughs> we're good on that one. Uh, we said there it's unlikely someone gets double-digit sacks. That might happen. 
Uh, Pay with two of them, he's on pace for 16, plus we're going to get a ninth game and a bowl game. Uh, now I'm leaning Pay getting double-digit sacks. Uh, freshman impact. Uh, we didn't really – it's hard to predict which freshmen are going to make an impact. We did say Roman Wilson, so we thought he might make some impact, but it looks like they're going to really make an effort to get him and Henning the ball. And like we just touched on, Blake Corum being a featured featured player – so uh, on defense, you really just had Makari Page. You don't really want freshmen starting on defense if you can avoid it unless they're Jabril Peppers or somebody like that. Um, and the last thing we were wrong about, Harbaugh would sooner die than lose his khakis. The man is making changes in year six, baby. <laughs> we never thought he'd get rid of Tim Drevno. He did that. He's making more changes every year. And getting rid of the khakis for the blue pants. Blue pants, Harbaugh's undefeated. That's all I'm saying. That's all you need to say, sir. So uh, overall, it's hard for me to really take away too much negative after a beatdown of a good Minnesota team on the road. Now, here's a caveat that just has to be inserted. They lost like seven players right before the game uh, that did not were not able to suit up. We did mention that on the last pod. We didn't think the starting right tackle and right guard would make it. That ended up being accurate, and uh, that really affected them. Their punter being out really affected them. But I would have to say, even if all those guys played, Michigan looked like the better team all night long. Yeah, and that's just the climate in 2020. Every team is going to have to face it unless they just are very strict about their bubble and self-isolation. And everything that came out after this game from the Michigan team, talking about how this year feels different. This feels like one team, one unit with one goal. Just, oh my God, it lights a fire inside of me. And they're very, they're taking this season very seriously. And they fought to have a reason to play, and they proved why. Turn on the Kool-Aid hose and shove it down my esophagus because I'm drinking it all. <laughs> Everything they said after the game, man, I was like, just keep talking, Joe. Keep talking, Joe yep. Milton. Keep saying good whatever, things. Whatever you want to say, Joe Milton. Whatever you want, my friend. Oh, man. It's uh, it's great to be 1-0. It's great to beat a ranked team on the road. Uh, there's more work to be done. And we're going to get into our next challenge. It is hate week in week two, which feels a little bit odd, but... We're going to take it, especially after Michigan State lost to Rutgers. So we're going to take a quick break, come back and break down next week's, or excuse me, this Saturday's challenge against Sparty. That and more right after this. All right. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are moving on. It is already hate week. We're in the thick of it. By the time this comes out, we'll be right on the verge of it. And it's a rivalry that has lost some of its luster, but at the same time, don't tell that to the players because I'm sure that they're going to want this one. So uh, looking forward ahead, we've got Michigan State after the victory that we just broke down for you. Uh, Their week one went a little bit different. They lost to Rutgers. A little different is putting it nicely. That was Rutgers' first Big Ten win in three years. Three years without a conference win. And Michigan State was nice enough to oblige by having seven turnovers. I, I don't even know where to start with this because you know, I believe by the transitive property, if you lose to Rutgers, you actually become Rutgers. So I think actually Michigan State is now the Rutgers. By the transitive property, that's all factual. Yeah, yeah. That's my understanding of it. And uh, you, you look at Rutgers on your schedule and you kind of just assume a victory. I mean, you mentioned that it's their first Big Ten victory since whatever that when did you say? It was? 17. Yeah, so first victory in the Big Ten, and there's been some bad teams in the Big Ten since then, and they get it over a rival, Michigan State, and they we knew, I mean, when we previewed them in the offseason, that they had some serious issues with the talent on this roster, 
Uh, didn't really know what to expect from Mel Tucker. I wasn't super high on Mel Tucker. Um, I'm a CU alum, and he bailed out on that school, so I didn't really like him as a person. But as a coach, man, he's got his work cut out for him. And uh, like you said, seven turnovers is – I mean, you got teams that go the whole season without seven turnovers, and they did it in a game. Michigan State averaged 1.3 yards per rush against the Rutgers defensive vaunted front seven. They do have Michael Dwumfor. They do have Michael Dwumfor, who was leaving Michigan because he wasn't playing as much. Right. Yeah. So Michael Dwumfor, who wouldn't start on our D line, shut down the Michigan State running attack. Now they got to go against the guys that do start for our line. And look, I mean, I don't want to pile on Michigan State too much, even though they would certainly not show us the same respect because this team, is, they might not win a game. Yeah. They're terrible. They're horrendous. Everything they did in this game, they slung the ball around with Rocky Lombardi, who's not a competent passer at all. Like, there's nothing there to be desired. They have a couple decent receivers in uh, Reed and I believe Naylor. But no, this team was just not good. They're not well coached. They didn't look prepared. Sloppy with the ball. It was honestly embarrassing. I, I rarely feel bad for Michigan State, if ever. And... It kind of felt like justice was being served in a way. I didn't feel, I kind of started to feel bad. I'm like, but don't, Andy, don't. They had this coming to them and they lost to Rutgers. Rutgers. Let's just keep repeating that until it sinks in. But I mean, the numbers, Rutgers put up 38 points. Their quarterback only threw for 169. Their leading rusher had 61 yards and they put up 38 points. So that goes to show you just how devastating these turnovers were. Penalties were a problem. Game management was a problem. Rocky Lombardi, who was really only known for looking like he would be the concierge for Mel Gibson's dungeon. Uh, other than that, I don't really know what he's good for. I mean, I guess his name sounds like he could be like a boxer that just came off the docks in the 20s, but he's not a good quarterback. And I, I mean, they just don't have a ton of talent on their team outside of Reed, Naylor, Antoine Simmons. They got a tackle that's pretty decent, but I mean, that's about it. Whereas we just touched on everyone on our offense as a difference maker. Yeah, this is, oh man, this offense for Michigan State's a mess. The defense, you know, they were there putting a lot of bad positions and you could say, you know, they're okay. They, you know, stopped Rutgers here and there, but they also almost gave a 40 burger to Rutgers. Like, I can't emphasize that enough. Like, I mean, obviously Rutgers is out of the Chris Ass era, Ash era, and, um, you know, maybe things are improving. They just beat Michigan State. Or maybe Michigan State is experiencing the downfall continuing from last season with the end of D'Antonio. It's a combination. Definitely credit to Greg Schiano. I mean, the only time Rutgers has been relevant in the last two decades was when Schiano was there. So he is a much improved coach. They will be a much improved team, but they still are an awful team. I mean, you don't get that much better with the same personnel. So, I mean, with the personnel essentially that they had last year, they did get a lot of transfers. Um, they went out and they put it to Sparty and yeah, 38 points allowed. And Michigan put up 49, should have been 60 on Minnesota. So if you're Michigan State, I don't know how you see a path to victory here. Basically, Milton's going to have to turn it over seven times himself or something. They're, what they have to be telling their team is, guys, we just can't beat ourselves. Can't turn the ball over. They have to just play smart play within ourselves, try to control the line of scrimmage, and that's how we're going to get the win. That's the only way they can try to spin this in any way. But you still can't change the optics of they lost to Rutgers at home and Michigan went on the road at night with college game day 
and beat Minnesota handedly with a new quarterback. And obviously no stands in the fans does change things a little bit, but I mean, you would think that that would help you against like Rutgers or something. And you're still at home. You didn't have to go anywhere. And we still had to travel to Minnesota. And I mean, once again, there's not going to be a lot of fans. This one's coming back to Ann Arbor. There's just going to be friends and family in attendance. So don't have to worry too much about the crowd noise, but that I think is benefiting this young Michigan team a lot. Honestly, I, I mean, it's early on. It's tough to say, but with Joe Milton just being able to ease into it and not have to worry about crowd noise doesn't seem like he's concerned and his confidence is going to grow and grow and grow very quickly, I would imagine. Absolutely. It just feels like a practice with pads, like there's a reward to this practice. And in previous years, even last season, when Michigan State wasn't playing well coming into the game, we knew, hey, like. D'Antonio always gets his team up to play. They're always going to be ready for Michigan. We're always going to get their best shot. And they're always going to be like ferocious on defense. And then we blew them out 44 to 10. And it was kind of the end of that really competitive streak from them and getting the most out of their players. And the Mel Tucker era, I don't know if he's going to be able to bring that same kind of energy. I don't think so either. And we were talking a little bit uh, offline. He doesn't really have the credentials to necessarily like you can say, okay, he'll get it figured out. Like at least with Scott Frost, you can say, well, let's give him the time. Look at what he was able to do. Mel Tucker's had one coaching job before this and was at CU where he was there for one year and then left him like right after signing day. So, I mean, there's nothing about what Mel Tucker has shown to say he will for sure get it figured out. And maybe he will. I mean, I'm not saying I'm rooting for that, but it's better for the Big Ten when they're at least competent. But how tough is it going to be for him now? You come out 0-1 against Rutgers, that has got to kill recruiting. That is not going to help. Yeah, it's just, what have you done for me lately? Michigan featured several freshmen prominently in their game against Minnesota, and Michigan State lost to Rutgers, had seven turnovers, and just looked like a disaster of a team. How many times are you going to say Michigan State lost to Rutgers? I can't say it enough. I just want to keep pounding it into the ground. Just like Michigan State lost to Rutgers. Just tattoo it on my forehead, put it on my tombstone, make a license plate out of it. I want people to know this. It's it's insane, man. So uh, before we get to the keys to this game and get our predictions in, you want to touch a little bit on the rest of the Big Ten? Yeah, let's go through it. You already touched on it a little bit. Penn State lost to Indiana. And if you look at it, hey, maybe Indiana's up. No, if you watch the game, Penn State kind of controlled it. Lost the best running back on their team in Journey Brown. One of the better ones in the Big Ten. He's gone. That hurt. Sean Clifford's not the guy to just dominate a game. Shaka Tony dominated Indiana's offensive line. And I don't think the better team won, but that doesn't matter. There's no morality points in victory. So Indiana got the job done and won in overtime. I'm not going to say that Indiana is down. I think this is the best Indiana team in years, and they've been close a lot of the time. So I'm really glad they got this monkey off their back against Penn State and not against us because uh, they were due, and I don't really believe in being due. But these guys have fought a ton of, of ranked teams and just come close but not been able to finish it out. And uh, credit to Tom Allen for doing what we all said you should do when you're the underdog. Just go for two. Well, I mean, put it all in one play. Don't give Penn State a chance to let their talent win out. And the call was extremely controversial. It's the JT is short of their, you know, era and of those two teams. Um, But kudos to him. And Indiana's got players all over. Uh, But really, to me, I think James Franklin losses for him because I am not a believer in James Franklin. And if you outgain everyone, have more sacks, I mean, have better field position, you should win that game. 
and uh, they found ways to lose, not ways to win. Yeah, 100%. James Franklin was a big letdown, and Indiana's a decent team. I I think they could, if it was a 12-game season like before, I think they'd be like 8-4. and four. They're on that kind of level, but no, nothing nothing really to be feared of. It's like, okay, it's going to be a solid game. I'm excited for it. Yeah, no, and there'll be a problem for us, but I mean, the more I watch our offense, the more I'm going to I'm going to gain confidence in it. So, uh that was the biggest result. Uh, Ohio State handled business against Nebraska, who was competitive for all of 10 minutes. Um Nebraska really wanted to get back to play, but that's what happens. I mean, sometimes life isn't fair and you get uh Ohio State who Look, every year we're like, oh, maybe there's uh, there's some areas to exploit here, but they're really freaking good. And the fact that Justin Fields is there, they're going to continue to be really freaking good. Yeah, they turned it on just like they always do. They flip the switch. Their defensive line is worrisome. Like they're not as dominant as they have been. They have the talent there, and maybe they'll get better with experience. But it's not the reloading we've seen in previous years with like Chase Young and players like that because they were not the same that I'm used to seeing. So. Saying Ohio State is down a notch is not saying much, but at least in one aspect through one game, I saw them to be wanting a little bit. But as you said, as long as they have Justin Fields, they're going to be in any game. Right, and they don't necessarily have a J.K. Dobbins or or anybody like that as well at running back, but they're also, I mean, they recruit extremely well, so these guys are only going to get better as the season goes on. So Ohio State is Ohio State, so nothing really to take from that game. Uh, Purdue upsetting Iowa with their coach uh, in the hospital and Rondell Moore not playing was a bit of a surprise. That is, and Purdue is no stranger to upsets. They've beaten Ohio State more times this decade than Michigan has, and they've only played four times. Yeah, so Purdue, maybe someone to watch. They'll get Rondell Moore back, and eventually their coach will actually be able to, to coach. Um, so there could be it could be interesting in the West, especially with uh, – Wisconsin. So let's talk about Wisconsin versus Illinois, who uh, was the Friday night game. And Graham Mertz scared the living bejesus out of me until I saw our offense. And then he went out uh, partying the next night and got coached. Yeah. Apparently gave it to the whole quarterback room. Speaking of coaches unable to coach, so is Paul Christ. And their upcoming game against Nebraska has been canceled by them. So it's unclear if they were forced out of the game because the report was Nebraska, uh, Wisconsin just canceled it. So I don't know if it'll be a forfeit or a no contest because if the conference forces you not to play, then it's a no contest. But the room, it's a no contest. Is that official? Because I was conflicting yeah, reports yeah. for a minute because I didn't know if yes, one team could just throw in the towel and it's like, okay, it's still a no contest. No, it was a no contest uh, because I think they meet the criteria. They had like six coaches and six players with on COVID protocol or Dude, something. stay out of the bars. That's what I'm saying. Wisconsin is like kind of an outlier for the rest of the Big Ten because their state has a 28% COVID rate of people that are either infected or have been infected. And that's like way, way above the national average. So apparently in Wisconsin, they're just acting like it's business as usual, which, all right, I mean, that's your right, I guess, but it's also going to make you lose some football games. So if you want to play football, like Harbaugh says, stay positive, test negative. Yeah, that's dangerous for them. You have to have six games to even qualify for Big Ten championship games. So they drop, they get sick again, like another outbreak. I mean, this is troublesome. It could be, especially since they could have made some noise. I mean, Minnesota already taking a loss. You've got Graham Mertz and... uh you know, we've always said Wisconsin will be Wisconsin until they find another Russell Wilson. That's something we've said year in and year out, and looks like they found a guy. Granted, it was Illinois, but Graham Mertz was extremely impressive. Um, but they don't have a Jonathan Taylor type. So, and now with the uncertainty there, 
you got to start to lean more towards maybe somebody else in the West. And also that game against Wisconsin could be impacted here in a couple weeks. Yeah. And this is going to be held against them, even if it shouldn't be like, if they only have seven games on their resume. It's like, I'm sorry, you guys all had COVID one week. We lost the bullet point we could have had. Yeah, exactly. I've managed to not have it. And, you know, I'm still out going, living my life. I just wear a mask. So if you know you've got a chance to maybe make it to the NFL and play college football, you should probably maybe take some precautions. That's on you, bro. Yeah, it's not really that hard. You know, if you're sick, stay in. If you're thick, come over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, with their offensive line, you'd have a lot of corn-fed white boys showing up at your house. They're going to come over. That's a fair point. Just wear a mask. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One more note, Northwestern somehow put up 43 on Maryland. Uh, Yeah, the Mike Loxley effect is really kicking off great this season. It's good to see Northwestern back there because you and I are both Pat Fitzgerald guys. Absolutely, and uh, they're kind of doing what their fan base has been clamoring for, kind of how we were clamoring for Harbaugh to get with the new era. They finally went and hired a new offensive coordinator. They're spreading it out. They've got a competent quarterback. So they, I think they're actually going to be one of the teams to watch over there in the West. I think they'll be a tough out. I think so, too, and it's good for the West to have some parity, so to see different teams rising, maybe actually some good battles there this season. God, if only we were in the West. Yeah, PJ Flex been to a Big Ten championship game because he's in the West. Just remember that. Only reason. Yep, because he's 0-2 against Harbaugh, and that's going to keep keep going. So Harbaugh's a better coach than Fleck. Say it again. Say it louder. Harbaugh is a better coach than PJ Fleck. Oh, give me, give me hype. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Let's get into this matchup uh, this weekend. There's really not too much to talk about because we've already said everything there is to say about Michigan State. So what are the keys of the game? How could Michigan State theoretically keep this close or maybe pull it out if it is 2020 and things are weird? We did see Rick Moranis this year. I thought we'd never see him again. Yeah, and somebody punched him. You need to be deported. Leave Rick Moranis alone. The man hid for 20 years, comes out of hiding for six weeks and gets punched in the face. Yeah, Rick Moranis, go back underground. Yeah, he he retired from acting because his wife had cancer. He's the best, man. We're all Rick Moranis fans here. I don't know how we got onto this subtopic. but Yeah, it's really- long live Dark Helmet. But <laughs> Michigan State needs to play near perfect ball. Control, control, control the ball. Just take take the air out of the sails of Michigan. Don't let this quick start offense get on their feet. Do not turn the ball over. Don't beat yourself. Don't commit penalties. It's basic, it's basic Big Ten football from the 90s. Don't let the other team have the ball much. Control the clock and don't beat yourself. Basically, and they're not going to turn the ball over seven times. That's a bit of an anomaly. That's crazy high numbers. But at the same time, their offensive line had some struggles against Rutgers. And, I mean, we had the highest graded pass rush in all of college football last week. I mean, that is a rough, rough recipe. And Pay and Hutchinson are just getting their feet wet right now. I mean, they're going to feast in this game. So it's going to be very, very tough on uh, Rocky Lombardi, who's – you know, Hitler's favorite quarterback, but nobody else. <laughs> Mel Gibson. Mel G- Hitler and Mel Gibson. The only ones that are really big on Lombardi. Um, so it, it's going to be tough on him. It, it, I don't know where it's going to come from because, yeah, you want to run the ball. Mel Tucker quoted uh, was quoted before week one. He said, even when they know we're going to run the ball, we're going to run the ball. I was like, all right, let me know how that works out for you against Don Brown. So Don Brown is probably licking his chops right now. He has to be, and everyone in the Michigan locker room is saying the right thing, saying, don't take this for granted. We know players on that team, so it makes it a little more personal, but you know they want to come out here and just embarrass this team like 56-3 to or something like that. Right, 
Yeah, no, I mean, and, and they very well could. They're set up for it. Michigan State, if you just look at the talent gap, it's of all the years we've been doing this podcast, this is by far the biggest talent gap. I mean, the guys to watch at linebacker Antoine Simmons, they got two cornerbacks that should improve. And then the the uh, wide receivers that we talked about, Reed and Naylor. Um, but outside of that, I mean, it's going to be hard for them to get their receivers involved. I mean, look how hard it was to get first round pick Rashad Bateman involved. He still had 100 yards, but didn't ever seem like he really mattered or that he was controlling the game. No, he never took over. And you take away that one play. He was held in check by multiple guys and multiple looks. Don Brown's going to throw throw so many looks at Rocky Lombardi. He's not going to know how to process any of it because I guarantee you his defense is more complex than whatever Rutgers is throwing at him. Guaranteed. Shiano's a good defensive coordinator. He's a defensive coach. He was at Ohio State there. And, uh, you know, he's he's a fine, fine defensive coach. But Don Brown is better. And Don Brown is more aggressive. And Don Brown has the players to bring absolute hell down on Rocky Lombardi. <laughs> Don Brown is basically Ezekiel 25-17 from Pulp Fiction. Just strike down upon thee. That is what he's going to do in this game. With furious okay. anger. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it, it's going to happen, man. Um, so we were we uh, predicted the the over under. Oh, one of the things that we were right about, and another thing before we we go into our predictions here, uh, we have to give, and this is going way back. Donovan Jeter needs to get some props before this pot is over. Score a first his first touchdown, and has been you know hyped but completely absent on this Michigan team. Scores a touchdown in that game. I couldn't be happier for him. I think that was the player I was most happy for. I was too, man. After everything he's endured, he and Chris Evans, they both got a touchdown and everything they've both overcome. I can't believe Chris Evans is still playing football. When he was uh, had all the problems with the university two years ago, I was like, all right, his career's over. Or I thought maybe he'd transfer like SMU or somewhere like that. But no, stuck it out, got his life back together, picked himself up by his bootstraps, and now he's contributing again. Like It's, a, it's an amazing story, and same thing for Jeter with everything he's overcome. Yep, and Evans probably comes back next year, honestly. Yeah, God bless the COVID rules, baby. Bring them all back. Bring them all back, yeah. So I wanted to touch on that. And then one thing we were right about, we did our uh, keys to the game last week, and we said pressure on Tanner Morgan could be underrated. Um, We said we thought we'd be able to get the pressure and that it would affect him, and that was big last week, and I think it's going to be big again this week. I think pressure is going to rule the game. So, um, But that being said, let's hear your keys to the game um, and your predictions. My keys to the game is don't overlook the opponent. Like this is all just going to be wishy-washy coach stuff because everywhere Michigan has an advantage. It's going to be establish the run. Don't beat yourself. Don't get too excited. Don't go after the big play. Pound the ball. Open it up just like you did against Minnesota. Execute within the playbook and you should win easily. My prediction is going to be just an evisceration. As I said in our roundtable, it's like the Civil War for Michigan, except it's 49 states against Delaware. Um, it's going to, I'm saying 45 to three, I'm giving them three points out of courtesy. That's very nice of you. Uh, I think they maybe score some garbage time points. Our keys of the game are essential. Um, on defense though, I think it's going to be Don Brown is going to send the house at Rocky Lombardi. He's going to have a rough, rough afternoon. So I think it's get into the backfield, penetrate, which we'll be able to do. That'll mess up their running game, their passing game, everything. Aiden Hutchinson and pay are going to have big games again. So I think, yeah, pressure Lombardi, uh, get into the backfield, make it tough for them to to establish anything. And as far as score predictions, it, it's, I mean, the, the spread went up immediately from like 23 to 26. And I mean, I'm not going to bet on that because that's quite a few points, but I think we cover it. Uh, I think it's going to be something like 45-10. 
it's crazy. We see we seem like we're putting the bar high for Michigan scoring 45. They just put up 49 in a game they could have had 60. Should have been 60. Eric All dropped a gimme touchdown and Ronnie Bell tripped over himself. Three missed field goals. Should have had 60 against Minnesota on the road. What are you going to do if Michigan wins this game like 61 to 0? I mean, I'm already like I've got a a hose hooked up to me drinking all the Kool-Aid. I can't drink any more of the Kool-Aid. <laughs> it's like what arm are you putting my Joe Milton tattoo on? <laughs> I'm already starting to lean towards undefeated going into Ohio State. It's starting to feel that way, especially with ups and downs. The other teams, things are looking good. We're feeling optimistic, mildly sober. Like, let's go. Mildly? Yes, mildly. Won't be Saturday. Wasn't last Saturday. Yeah, I, I wish we could share some of our you know, correspondence during the game, but this is a family podcast. This is a family podcast. Can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, this could get rough this weekend, but I'm excited for it, brother. We'll be back next week with the breakdown of that. Anything else from you, my friend? No, brother. Go blue. Stay positive. Test negative. Stay positive. Test negative. Take care, little brother. Let's do it. All right. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Brew. I am Jared. That is Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue. Go blue.